All right, everybody, welcome to the show again. Janet, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's exciting to have you on here. Following the Disrupt Princeton event that we both got the chance mm-hmm. to speak at, I just thought your perspective was so good. And, I, you know, one of the things we had talked about previously, I had mentioned to you, trend or trendy is something we do on here. And one of the things you were talking to me about, and I just think we have to kind of start out with it, is this whole idea of servant leadership, mm-hmm. right? We know how much the managers can impact our experience at work, how productive we are at work, how we feel about work. This whole idea of servant leadership floating around being this sort of like trendy, buzzy thing. Is it trendy? Does it need to be a trend? And your take on this, I love. So if you could maybe just start us off by being like, hey, servant leadership from Janet's perspective, I think that would that would yeah. be where I'd like to start this conversation. Sure, sure. So servant leadership, it, it probably does still fall a little bit into this, into this trend bucket, and it really shouldn't. We need to pull it out of the trend and into the normal practice because this first came up as a concept in the 1970s. Like nothing should be a trend for 50 old? years. Yes. So okay. nothing should be a trend for that long for what are we, 50 some years now without actually becoming some sort of practice. So I think the big problem that we have with servant leadership these days is that people don't really understand what it is. And there's these, you will talk to a ton of people that will say, oh yeah, I'm a servant leader. I'm definitely a servant leader. And they have no idea what that means because servant leadership is a total downward focus in how you manage your people. It's not managing for your own benefit or for your own growth. It's managing for the the total enablement of your people and focusing on their growth and their opportunity. It's not micromanaging, which is normally what I hear from people. I'll say, what does servant leadership mean to you if they bring it up? And they'll say, oh, well, I I don't micromanage my people and I have growth and development conversations. And not to say that that's bad. That's great. You should definitely do at least those two things, but that's not servant leadership. Servant leadership is focused on building those concepts of just empowering your people. And one of the key components of it is putting ethical decisions and ethical practices over profit. Not to say the profit should never win, but like if the two of them end up in a boxing match, those ethical decisions should win out. And right now, goes to the runner. Right, tie goes to the runner. You can be profitable. You can run a successful business, but but Mm -hmm. when they compete, when they so, how are you helping Savota think about this differently? Then, what are you doing there to sort of try to get people away from this? Maybe if it's been around since the seventies, we'll call it this outdated idea of servant leadership or this this failure to kind of separate micromanagement from servant leadership. What do you think needs to be done then to make servant leadership what it's supposed to be and not sort of what it's unfortunately evolved into? Yes, yes. So what I always do to try and help people change this mindset and kind of focus on what servant leadership should be is honestly, like performance issues kind of give you this opportunity. Figuring out the why to something happening. Not many people go into their job and want to do a bad a bad job act. You know, people want to do good at their company and in their roles. And in some ways, we box people into this idea of doing work the way that we know how to do it. Well, I trained you on the way that I do it in the processes that I I use. So you should follow those processes. And if you don't, if you do it differently, mm, that's not the way that I wanted it done. And really, that gives a good opportunity to kind of focus on this, on some of these servant leadership principles. Are you talking to your person about how the, the work actually gets processed for them? Do you know how they process the the thoughts and concepts that get to that goal? Is it really important how they get to the goal? I mean, yeah, you don't want to hire a surgeon and then have them get creative on how they do heart transplants, but like not many of us are doing that level of work here. We can allow some level of flexibility of how we get to point A to point B. You know, we can take a little bit of a wigglier road. 
So, so these these performance issues, right? Because that's yeah. the you're saying those are the opportunities to start to understand how each person works, as opposed to just sort of yeah. treat it as this like idea that like a person's just bad at work. Yeah, it's the way that you can kind of wiggle into this conversation for people who are already managers, because most people walk into management with a philosophy that they already have, and for some people who've been in management for a while, you're going to have a hard time convincing them that they're doing it wrong. Maybe some of them know they're doing it wrong, but you're going to have a harder time. By taking some of these little opportunities to try and coach them on, let's think about this a little differently and let's see how we can really see this person succeed. That gives you the opportunity to kind of maybe get that switch to start to flip of, all right, maybe there's a different way that I can treat my people that can help them become the best at their role. So that's really kind of like your put in the door for anyone who really wants to talk about this with someone that feels like maybe it's not as easy to just be like, Hey, I really don't like the way you manage your people. Let's talk about how you should do it totally differently. But how are you guys, right? Cause what I hear from my managers a lot, right? Like <laughs> we've, we've got the problem. I think you're describing, I'll raise my hand and go like, okay, I'm talking to you and I'm going like, look in the mirror, Kyle, right? Like this is, pro- <laughs> I'm, I'm a bad manager. I think, I think I'm a bad manager. I have to go back. Do not pull my people after this. Cause I think I'm a bad manager, but if I think about myself or even my managers, right, their plate is overloaded, especially post-COVID. Everyone's doing more with less, right? We're, we're yeah. asking managers especially to sort of be a lot of different things beyond just a manager. I'm not asking you to fix my problem, right? I'll go fix my problem. But how are you guys, right? How are you guys at your company trying to help the managers then create the space and the time necessary to, to manage like this, right? Like it's got to be about the environment to not just hey, this is a good idea, right? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like a good idea. How do you create the environment that allows them to actually behave this way as managers? It's tough because it starts with executive level buy-in. And that's really the problem is you, in order for someone to manage this way, they need to have the space to manage this way because an organization needs to be committed to saying, yes, you can focus on well-being. And if we have a well-being issue, if we have that ethical problem where we need to decide whether we are going to burn someone out and affect their mental health just because we really want to hit Q4 goals and exceed a little bit, you know, there needs to be executive level buy-in for a manager to say, you know what, push the project. You need two days off because you look like you're about to break and run off to Iowa and never be heard again. Like you need just time. And so let's make sure you get that time. And yes, we're not going to meet a deadline. What's more important is that you don't lose it in the middle of a freeway. Like we need to take care of you first before we take care of the profit. And yes, there are certain industries and certain situations where you can't do that. You know, Savota works in clinical trials. There are certain situations where we may not be able to push a deadline, but can we pull extra resources? Can we figure out a way to kind of make something work or make something help? But it really does start at that executive level where you have that freedom and that psychological safety to exercise that management decision. That's the problem, really, is that we tell people they need to be managers and they're responsible for the engagement of their people and they're responsible for the well-being of their people. But here's your limited set of options on how to take care of that. Yeah. And we need to kind of give them that bigger toolbox. And there's a business rationale for this too. I mean, like, you know, we're talking about, it starts at the executives as an HR leader, as a people leader, I'm sure you've made arguments, presentations Mm -hmm. upward, right? Like you've, you've established a business case for why this is important. Like, so maybe, and now we're going off script. So everybody knows like, this is not, (laughs) this is not a pre-print now I'm, now I'm off script. So I'll give Janet a second, but like, 
How have you gone about creating that business case and sort of establishing the rationale for this being actually a better business practice, not just a better people management practice? What does that sound like? What are the KPIs of the things you you try to communicate upward to establish the justification for, for giving that space? Yeah. So servant leadership, what it is totally focused on is creating this sense of well-being and engagement, which then leads to the nice metrics that all of our HR like people and colleagues like to see. So net promoter scores and engagement and belonging scores. And what we know based on research and science and very recently conducted studies is that higher belonging scores and employees lead to a 56% increase in job performance, a 50% reduction in turnover risk, and 167% increase in employee net promoter scores. Not to mention there's 18 times as many internal promotions in companies that have higher belonging scores than companies that don't. So if there's any executive that can look at those kind of numbers in the current turnover tsunami that we have and the mental health crises that we have and the absolute employee burnout numbers that we have, if anyone can look at those numbers and say, meh, I'd rather take the $10,000 up front in this sale that we're going to get and just tell them to deal with it. They are a poor business person in my book. So when you look at the absolute ROI that can come in from actually investing in the people that take care of your company, that is the key. Anyone who has any kind of strategic mindset, once they look at the actual numbers behind this, should be able to see the value. Janet with the mic. I love the, I love the subtle, like not to mention, not to mention the hundred as if like, like almost burying the lead there, the and net promoter score, like, but, but what it what it all ties back to, right? Is essentially when you're when your people feel better about what they're doing and how you feel about them, like they they want to give more, right? Like at NFP, our our whole thing is people first, and when we say people first, what we often mean is like our people, because if, mm-hmm. if our people feel good, well, it's the trickle down. Our our clients will get taken care of well, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're saying in a nutshell when you're talking about NPS, right? That's what all that means. Exactly. Healthy, engaged people create healthy companies. So how do we go about, because this is something like, I was excited to get to this part with you, right? Like some of this doesn't come natural, right? Like (laughs) this idea, I am, I am a type A sort of sales motivated individual who who gets stumbled into managing people somehow, right? Like, I don't know. I, I joke around internally all the time. I'm not sure why they allow people to report to me. It's probably like, the, it's like, it's like, they're like, no, that's, we'll give that person to Kyle because it serves them right. Right. Like, I don't think I, I know I'm not a great manager. Like I try really hard, but it's, I'm not wired that way. You can't teach people emotional, right. That, that EQ, right. Like some people have it, some people don't. So like, what do we do with those kind of people? Well, we don't actually know that we can't teach emotional intelligence. The research is kind of split. The way that I view it, we may not all start on the same playing field, right? Like if we're on a track, I might be 100 yards ahead of somebody else, but we can all develop more skills in this bucket. So someone who walks in the door and says, no, I just have no emotional intelligence. You're going to have to deal with me being an asshole every day that I'm doing why? No. Are you listening on my team calls, Janet? I told you to stop listening (laughs) in on my team calls like that. But we have things that we can teach that person or they can actually grow their skills in this regard. It's going to be harder for them than someone who this comes naturally to. That's for sure. But they have the ability to generate these skills if they have the desire to. And that's a pretty key component of this. If they have the desire to. That goes into a whole separate conversation. But for people who are managers that want to be managers. We do have skills that we should focus on. And honestly, any sort of training, I would definitely recommend that you start it with self-awareness training. Any person 
cannot support the feelings, emotions, and turmoils of other people without understanding how those work in themselves and how they manage it. We all need to understand that before we jump into the arena. So getting your managers that self-awareness training and making sure that they are engaged with kind of learning this about themselves. So many people say they're self-aware and only about 10 to 15% of us actually are. So getting in tune with how you experience feelings and how that affects you, that's important. That's important as a management skill, even though it might feel a little floofy sometimes. Like you have to know how to do that for you before you do it for other people. Basically, without going through like the laundry list of training topics that you can definitely Google, you need to teach your managers how to harness and understand their emotions and their feelings and what they want out of their workplace before you then ask them to do that for other people. That's what's key because I can sit here and describe the color blue to you all day. And if you've never seen the color blue, you have no clue what the hell blue looks like by the time I'm done. Like you're never going to know. You're just not going to know. And as a part of this concept, like we have decided to get our people managers coaches in Savota because we want them to take more of a coaching mindset. It's great to say, hey, I want you to be more of a coach. But what in the, what does that mean? I can put them through some courses where I can say being a coach is checking in regularly and having your scheduled one-on-ones. But what's really going to teach them how to do it is having an effective coach sit there and put them through that experience. They're going to be able to turn around and do it a hell of a lot better after that. So yeah. taking modeling the behavior. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? So, okay. Kyle needs self-awareness. I hear you. And it's really mm-hmm. polite of you to say them as if we're not talking about me right now. That's very polite of you. I appreciate that. So first of all, I know you can Google the skills, but I'm sure you have kind of come down and distilled down what you think that the most important ones are. I'd love for you to kind of say to the other people leaders out there, like, look, if, you, if you're going to start somewhere, here's the, the top ones. Yeah. Beyond self-awareness, it's managing difficult conversations, keeping your calm through stressful situations. There is no person I have ever met that does not get stressed out when they're- I think you'll sign up for that one right now because I'm sure there's several people who'd like to- There's like a cable operator somewhere that I've spoken to. It's like, if only that guy had that course. Yes. I mentioned this at Disrupt Princeton. Like, When your employee is having a crisis, that is not your time to have a crisis with them. Like that is your time to be the pillar of, I got my shit together. Let me take care of what's going on here and be like the stalwart one in the storm. Like you need to make sure you are the one that can handle yourself while someone else is not able to handle themselves. So having those concepts is really important. Just learning how to actually have conversations with care and validating validating like what you're hearing and emotions, that's really important to say like, I hear you and this is what I'm hearing. Am I understanding that correctly? It's really easy to do that. Really easy. Sounds easy. That sounds easy. <laughs> what, about, what about resources? So you mentioned that at Savota, you guys have gotten yeah. your managers coaches, right? So they can, they can sort of be coached, start to understand and maybe imprint and repeat what good looks like, right? Yeah. Uh, enable your managers. I love that. Mm-hmm. What, uh, where do you find these coaches? Do you have any resources? Is it a, is it a, a Jujil? You go use the Jujil machine to find them. Do you have any recommendations yeah. of like companies, resources? How do you find your coaches? I wish I had the answer to that. We are in the process of doing this right now. So we've made the decision to get them coaches, but we're implementing them in the beginning of the year. There are a lot of good training and coaching companies out there. So there's a whole vast majority of 
you can find them in a lot of different places. This is a, a pretty popular skill set that's popped up in the last five to 10 years. You and I are going to do a, uh, a follow-up. We're going to have like yeah. a five-minute follow-up conversation. You're going to, you're going to let us know who you picked and how you got to them. They're going to be oh, free, free plug okay. for them. Yeah, we're yeah. going to do, do an a, a addendum to this episode yeah. at some point. One of the really critical things, though, that I think companies need to make sure they offer their, their managers is an opportunity to exit management. We have created management as this turnstile to career growth. You have to become a manager to get ahead. You want to grow? Become a manager. You want more money? Become a manager. We haven't given the opportunity for people to grow their career and reach those elevated levels within a company without going through the management change. And managing people requires a certain level of skills, both learned and potentially innate. We don't know. And so what we end up with is people in management positions that do not want to be there because we've said, hey, Bob's the best plumber we have. He needs to lead the plumbing team. And in reality, everyone hates Bob and like they don't want him to be anywhere near them from a management capacity. So we end up forcing people into these positions that they just don't want. And you can easily identify those people, especially if you're in HR, because you sit down and talk about topics like coaching or like growing individuals or being a servant leader. And they go, I shouldn't have to do that. And they, they do have to do that. So we need to give a way to exit management and still have career growth as well. I'm not saying I'd volunteer to exit management <laughs> or anything like that. That's but like I no, I can appreciate that. Right. Like we yeah. often talk internally here all the time about. Okay, now what? You, you you got into management. Somebody said, I think you'd be great at this. You get into it, whether you're good at it or not. This is the other thing I've talked to a lot of my, the, the bosses I've had over my career where I've been like, that is one of the best bosses I've ever had. Just because you're good at it doesn't mean you love it or you want to do it. Yeah. Right? Like I, I, Just because I'm good at being a manager doesn't automatically mean I want to be a manager. Uh, yeah. So that's a really interesting... I, is that something where you think a lot of organizations are going to start to see that, especially as talent kind of contracts and becomes difficult to find? It's like sort of the, the repurposing yeah. and reallocating of like, okay, you don't, there's value for you to not be a manager. Uh, yeah. It's actually valuable to get you kind of doing something else because we can't find it anywhere else. I think companies that really want to attract talent right now need to start building this into their structure. I don't necessarily know that it's something that candidates are strongly exploring right now because we still have this culture of like, you got to be a manager to get ahead. I don't think people have, on the mainstream side of work, have decided that there are other opportunities, but we really need to find out what they are. Because as you said, you could be good at management, but you may not be able to manage being a manager, either because you have anxiety or you have a lot going on in your life right now where you can't take on the emotional needs of someone else beyond the emotional needs of yourself and your family. Our world kind of sucks these days. So trying to be a manager and taking on the needs of, of other people, that's tough because you're either going to you know put a lot into it to do it right and drain yourself if you have all these other external competing priorities, or you're not going to do it well at all. And then your company as a whole is going to suffer. And that's not to say that the majority of managers don't want to be there. I think the majority of managers do want to be there and they want to yeah. learn the skills and they want to learn how to be, you know the best they can be. But there are those people that we have forced into this track just off the basis of career growth or because they are the technical expert and we've asked them to do a job that is no longer technically focused. And that is where we're really struggling here, where we really need to provide that exit ramp in conjunction with the strong training for the people that actually want to be there. 
I think that's a, a great point. That exit ramp, I think, could also be like a huge recruiting advantage to somebody yeah. bring them over and say like, hey, and, and we think we've got other options for you if or mm-hmm. when you realize that like, hey, I just don't want to do that. I've made my impact. I don't want to do this anymore. That, that is a, yeah. That's a really cool idea from a recruiting perspective or even a yeah. retention perspective, saying to your people like, don't go feel like you've got to go become a manager elsewhere mm-hmm. right? because you don't want to be a manager here. We can find something else to, to kind of deliver yeah. value yeah. in the organization. Yes. And those roles can look like subject matter expert roles or like elevated experts in something that are collaborative roles, but not required to manage people or process leaders in an agile structure where they may lead the day-to-day of tasks and delegating and figuring out how process gets done, but they don't have to manage the actual growth or development or day-to-day emotional management of people. Yeah. So I'd like to play, I'd like to play our little game trend or trendy with you, Janet, right? We, we come up with some, <laughs> some HR topics that are out there in the universe being talked about a lot. I uh-huh. ask you, Janet, the expert, the people leader, do you think this is a trend? Meaning it's here to say, it's going to stick around. We feel like we're building on something or trendy. It is something that consultants like to talk about because they've run out of things to talk about and we won't be talking about it any longer in 12 months. So are you ready to play trend or trendy? Yeah. Okay. We're going to start with everybody's favorite topic, Janet. Trend or trendy mental health support in the workplace? Trend or trendy? Oh, my gosh. Trend. Definitely. This is something that we need to build stronger. We need to build upon regardless. The generations before us did not have no mental health issues. They, as we call it, suffered in silence. You know, this has always been a thing. It's just that as time has gone on, people aren't willing to place employers above their own mental health anymore. And employers getting involved in kind of assisting with with that mental health or like building that well-being is going to be critical for retaining and connecting with employees. Well-being in general has been a growing focus of employees for the last couple generations, but so much so that it is the number one focus for millennials and Gen Z. In fact, most employees throughout the pandemic and two different surveys that were completed said they would leave their job and take a pay cut for a company that prioritized their mental health and made them feel passionate and connected at work. Like that is the key here. We're throwing money around like it's nobody's business to try and recruit people right now. And that's not what's most important. People are looking for that place where they are going to actually get this kind of support that servant leadership gives them, this kind of actual growth and enablement and the wellness and well-being that comes along with it. First of all, I like that. Love the callback. I like how we're threading servant leadership into all like, I mean, it's like, it's almost too easy for you, Janet. But number two. (laughs) That's that's a good answer. Number two, right? Trend or trendy. And I'm going to get, it's like a big one. So take it wherever you want. The great resignation and remote work. Is this a trend or is this trendy? Okay. I consider the great resignation trendy in a certain way. The topic of it in general is trendy because I think it's just kind of like a Let's put a fancy name on some things that we did wrong and are no, now. No, which consultant came forward. up with it? But man, that guy yeah. had a marketing background and that lady yeah. had a marketing background. Yes. Remote work, I think, is a trend. So two different answers for two different subjects. Let me put it this way. I love the mountains. I would love to go live in the middle of Montana where no one could find me without a serious 20-mile wall. Like, Big yeah, Scott. I want to go work in the middle of nowhere. Can I find an employer there? No. <laughs> Does that mean I shouldn't work? Probably not. 
I can do my job from a lot of different places. And some places I need to be in person. Yes, there's a certain level of connection that you get in person that is tough to get remotely. You really need to do it right, you know? But when it comes to attracting candidates, there's a certain level of inclusion that remote work provides that I don't think people recognize as well. It allows people with disabilities to have more employment opportunities. It will give you a much more diverse workforce than you will get by dropping a dot and saying all of our employees will come from 10 miles within this circle. And we all know that divert work, I mean, the, the data around mm-hmm. the amount of productivity gained or profitability gained by having a diverse yeah. workforce, that, that we can't deny. And so if we need to make remote work more cool uh, yeah. in order to get there, I think everybody can agree that it is a trend. Okay, I'm going to say you are right on both of those. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two <laughs> points. I'm going to give you two points for both. We went to the judges. Yes, the judges said you were right on both of them. Janet, perfect three for three on trend or trendy. So round of applause for Janet. Janet, we're definitely going to have you back. I think it would be really cool to find out which coaches to pick, great. how it's going. I think that would be a fun follow up conversation because. I feel like we, yeah. could, we could talk about this kind of stuff all day. And I'm going to go find a list of topics. I'm going to go make myself. I'm going to get some go. skills. I'm going to get some skills, Janet. You're going to be getting thank you notes from, from all the people who have to report to me. This, is, uh, <laughs> this has been helpful on a personal and a professional level. Thank you, Janet. Great. Any final words, final thoughts? What are you looking forward to? What are you, what are you, what's kind of on your horizon? Big things you're looking to tackle next year. Yeah. So in January, I'm on a panel to talk about neurodiverse hiring, which to me is a huge topic that is you want to talk about trendy right now? This is a trendy topic. It should be a trend, but in terms of how it's being talked about right now, it's being treated in a very trendy way. And I want to make sure that employers start thinking more about how they need to do this the right way. Just marketing yourself out to a neurodivergent population and saying, hey, you know, we want to hire you. Why don't you come on in? Like it's very reflective of DEI hiring when it first got started, where they were like, hey, we want diverse candidates. Come and work for us. We're really great. And they were Checking like, some boxes. Yeah, yeah, have you done anti-racism training? Is this a place that's actually welcoming? Am I just going to walk in and this place is going to suck? Like, what have you done other than found a new group to say, we just found more people we can put in seats? Like, at this point, this is another one of those like ethics over profit kind of thing. If you're going to do it right, there's a lot of things you need to consider beyond just saying, hey, we're going to recruit people with neurodivergencies. So that'll be coming in January. That sounds like a perfect time then for us to get back together. That sounds yeah. fantastic. Uh, Janet, where can everybody find you? If everybody wants to hear more thoughts from Janet Potts, is LinkedIn the best place yeah. to go? Uh, check LinkedIn you out? is the, bl- the best place to go. Yeah. Slide into your DMs via LinkedIn. Check out Janet Potts on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also remember any of your risk management, employee benefits, retirement, or financial planning needs. Feel free to go check out www.nfp.com. Humans resourced wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to nfp.com and access it there. Kyle Healy, I am on LinkedIn. You can also find me apparently now on TikTok, which is a new thing. That's a new thing, but that's uh, we're going to do that too. Thank you, Janet, for taking the time. I had a good time. Thank you very much. Everybody, uh, check out Janet, check out NFP.com and have a great week. Until next time, Kyle Healy, thank you very much. <laughs>